If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Exodus 25 tonight. We left off in verse number 9 last week. We're going to pick up, pick up in verse number 10 this week. We, we talked about where we left off. God had called Moses. Now, I don't, I want, you, I don't want you guys to forget the context that, that we're in in our study. In that Moses is up on a mountain. He's there on Mount Sinai. The Lord is giving him the Ten Commandments. He's giving him the tabernacle and the and the the law and many things. He's going to come back down, and you guys will know the story by the time we get to thirty three. And when Moses comes back down after being on the mountain for forty days and forty nights, he's carrying the plans to the tabernacle. And although we're reading about him today, and we're you know we're studying and seeing him, really Moses is receiving this one on one from the Lord. On the mountain, he's going to come down. He's going to have the Ten Commandments in his hands. The Ten Commandments that that God, with the finger of God, wrote on those Ten Commandments. Where are those today? And whatever happened to them? Oh man, only if we had them, we'd all be rich. But we don't. So the, the original tablets, as we know, Moses threw them on the ground and they broke. And he was angry because the people were dancing around the golden calf when he came down. And, and God, it says, the Bible says that, that it has this term that God relented. Or some versions even say repent. Or God changed his mind. And the concept we unpacked last week, how does a God who knows the future change his mind, relent, or repent? And we talked about that last week. But nonetheless, God relents because he tells, he tells Moses, Moses, I'm going to be done with these people. And Moses um, intercedes on their behalf and he, he, he prays to the Lord and the Lord says um, he relents and then he, he gives Moses the, the new tablets. Just like the story where Abraham is interceding with God and God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, well, Lord, what if there's 40 righteous? Will you, will you not then? And they have that conversation as Abraham whittles him down to 10 righteous and there wasn't 10 righteous. And so the Lord smote him. So the um, tabernacle is where we are today. The Ark of the Testimony, we're going to get that now. And then we'll get into the tabernacle. Um, I've got a couple of pictures in a minute I'll put up for you guys so you can see some of that stuff that we're talking about. Verse number 10, chapter 25, it says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length. A cubit and a half its width. And a cubit and a half its height. So the, the, the box itself... The, the outer courts, the, the tent, and the tabernacle itself, which was, up, was broken up into two parts, none of it was very big. It was very ornate. It was, it was laid with gold and fine linens and colors. But, but none of it was, was big at all. The, the Holy of Holies was, or the holy place, was 45 feet long and 15 feet wide. And it was, it was cut in two, 30 feet in the front, 15 feet in the back. The Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would have resided, was only 15 by 15. Not very big, but very ornate. And all of these things, as we go through, they're a picture of Jesus. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just breaking down and laying out every issue of, of what and how this applies to Jesus. One of the interesting things here is the wood that was used in acacia wood. We, ha- we have something similar here. We have these aspen trees. And somebody told me, I haven't looked up on the aspen tree, but I'm familiar with the acacia tree. The original King James, I think, calls it shittim wood or acacia wood, the same thing. But the, um, the aspens that we have here, you guys think that was funny? Someone was laughing because I said shittim trees. <laughs> Where are your minds at? Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, in, the, in the aspen trees that technically those trees are one and they, and they grow close like that. And the root system is they all share a root system. And the interesting thing about acacia wood 
and, and a lot of our trees really is that surprisingly they have a very narrow root system, but they all share a root system and they connect under the ground somewhere that creates a stability. And, and the wood speaks of humanity in the scriptures. The Ark of the, when we get to the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was made of acacia wood and overlaid of gold. It's a picture of Jesus and, and his humanity and the gold being his, 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 his kingship and his divinity. But the acacia wood or the wood that speaks of us in the church that, that, that we're together, that we are, got it, that we are one in the body of Christ and that we stand together as a unit. And, and, and one alone, when we get away from fellowship, when we get away from church, when we get away from Christian people, that's where, that's where we're the most vulnerable. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. And, and you know, people want to argue with that all the time. Oh, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, no, you don't. And going to church doesn't make you a Christian. No more than being in a garage makes you a car. You, 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 but if you are a Christian, don't you want to go to church? If you are a car, don't you want to be on the street? You know, and, and if you are, then you naturally would want to be in those places and do those things. But so many times in our life, in Christian life, you know, it's that one sheep that goes astray. It's that one sheep that the wolf can attack. When the sheep are together, they can protect themselves or shepherds with them. But whenever they get astray, whenever they go by themselves, and we see it all the time in church. We see it all the time in church. We see it, you know, and even for you guys in your lives, you know, the Wednesday night crowd, you guys are probably the upper echelon. You know, there's a, you, know you make this commitment to being in church a couple times a week and come in here as we study through the Old Testament. And sometimes we, we, we don't really see the value in it. But I'll tell you what happens. There's a quality of life and there's a, there's a steadfastness over years that, that you continue to walk with the Lord. You continue to serve the Lord. You don't have these high highs and low or low lows in your, in your Christian walk. Because it doesn't take long. You miss a Sunday here or there. You miss two. Pretty soon you lose interest of even being in church. And eventually, as we know, we, we've experienced it here all the time. With families who start, start coming every once in a while and then never come. And, and it's never a good place for Christian to be out there in the middle of nowhere. Amen. And so this acacia wood is a picture of, 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 of the church or the body and the way that it would works together. Everything is overlaid in gold. In verse 14, it says, you shall put the poles into the rings in the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark and they shall be not taken from it and you shall not put the ark of the testimony, which and you shall put into the ark of the testimony that which I will give you. We're going to get to that here in a second. You, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold and two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. So let's see, if, Ryan, can we get that picture of the Ark of the Covenant? I mean, yeah, the Ark of the Covenant. A cubit is a span of measure and basically they, it, it's a measure from your elbow to your fingertips. Now people argue on a cubit, is it from your fingertip to the inside of your elbow, the outside of your elbow? Is there a big difference if I'm 6'4 or if I'm 5'4? Then, then that distance is, is a lot different. And so... I think we've agreed that a cubit is about 18 inches. And so when you see that, that measurement in the Bible, it's about 18 inches. So this is an artist's rendition of what the Ark of the Covenant looked like, where the Ark is today and what happened to it. As you follow through the, the, the pages of the Bible, it kind of disappears off the pages somewhere around um, the, the, the reign of the kings. So we have uh, David and then Solomon, and they have it through all that period. And then somewhere it disappears, but... People believe the Ethiopians, some would, would argue that it's in Ethiopia and the Ethiopian uh, priests have it. And some say that the Jews have it and they're, they're, they're ready. F they're going to put it in the, the rebuilt Jewish temple. And some people say that it's taken up into heaven and that God took it up into heaven. 
I don't know where it's at. Again, if we knew where it was at, maybe we should ask Indiana Jones. He might know where it's at. Um, so we have this box, again, not very big. You see the, 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 the rings there that it said with the poles that would go through. The priests would bear the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And, and on the top is, is, is a lid that was separate, if you will. And, and upon and between the cherub, the two angels there are cherub with their outstretched wings. They're facing each other. On that part there is called the mercy seat. And, and it's super important, that aspect of it. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, o- over the years, God had them keep three things inside the Ark of the Covenant. Bible Trivia 101. Anyone take a crack? Ten Commandments. The, the, those, those were at one point, those golden, they made the golden rats. But the three um, staples are the manna, a jar of manna, Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod that budded. And so we do see at one point the, the rats that they, they, they had kept in there as well. But those were the three main things. And so all three of those things, the, the jar of manna, Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments, they all speak of, of judgment. They all speak of rebellion and the rebellion of men. Inside the mercy seat is, is rebellion. And so the, the Ten Commandments, Moses came down, the people rebelled, he broke the Ten Commandments. The, the manna was a time when the people were in rebellion against God and they were complaining and God sent the manna. And Aaron's rod um, speaks of the time when Korah and, and them rebelled against Moses and the earth swallowed up and opened them up. And in each one inside the Ark of the Covenant represents man and rebellion. And that law that, that you had to be perfect to approach God. And that's basically what the law of Moses represents is, is, is a perfect life in order to qualify or be be. Um, allowed into heaven on your own merits according to that you have to follow that law but each of those three they speak of the rebellion of man they also speak of jesus every one of them jesus in the ten commandments it says that that the bible that jesus um completed the law that he defeated the law of sin and death that um and then um moses's or uh yeah aaron's rod that budded speaks of resurrection and what was dead that came to life and then um the Last one was the manna, and Jesus is what? John chapter 6. The bread of life, and Jesus is the bread of life. And so that speaks of of Jesus as well with all those things that were kept in there. And then it goes on, and it says um, in verse 17, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them, and at two ends of the mercy seat. What's interesting is the, the workmanship that would, that would have taken place. I don't know, Brian and Jessica were with me. They can maybe give you their opinion. But one of the things that um, I noticed when we went to Israel recently, in Israel right now, they are actively building the artifacts that are going to go into the rebuilt Jewish temple. And so it, it's, it's very common. It's like you'd think it'd be like this really wow factor with the articles and the items, but it really wasn't. It was just normal stuff that didn't have this amazing wow factor but without a doubt, um, you know, the, 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 the idea of the temple and the artifacts that they were made with craftsmanship. The Bible says that, that, that men were given, that these men were given special gifts of the Holy Spirit. And unlike the New Testament where we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that, that is poured out and remains upon us and is, fills us. That at times God would give men gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of those gifts was craftsmanship. One that I never got. And so it says... Um, in verse 19, make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make them cherub at two ends in each piece of the mercy seat. And the cherub shall stretch out their wings above covering 
and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherub shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. In the ark, you shall put the testimony which I will give you. And that was verse 21. We're going to pick up. I want you to turn with me really quickly to Hebrews. going to be Hebrews chapter 4 to start. Um, In verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. You know, the the Bible is very clear in Hebrews in multiple places in, in the idea of the high priest. Now, you know, again, because the the different religions have different offices of priests and high priests in different places, we um, we get confused on what that means. But we don't, as you know, in the, in the Christian church, we don't use the term priest. We don't we don't have the office of priest anymore because Peter says that we're all living stones, that we're all a royal priesthood, that the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And and, and, and the idea is really that Jesus has become the high priest. And that linen ephod that we studied last week where the high priest would wear the 12 stones and only the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year and, and to atone for the sins of the people, that Jesus is our high priest. And we don't have that office of high priest anymore because now on this side of the cross, we have Jesus and Jesus acts at our high priest. And we have been given access to into the Holy of Holies. We've been given access that only Moses was granted to go up on the mountain and meet with God in the Old Testament on this side of the cross. That's all changed. We all have direct access to God. We all have the same right and the same opportunity to spend time to get close to God. James tells us, draw near to me, that that Jesus says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And so each one of us is as close to the Lord as we want to be. And it has nothing to do with your position, your job, or what you do. It has to do with the desire of your heart to know Jesus and be close to Jesus. And if you desire and want in your heart to know Jesus and be close to him, you have direct access. And when it comes to the office of a priest, the reality is that, that we don't have a priest after the order of Melchizedek that, that's valid for us today. We don't have a high priesthood. In Israel, they still have a hierarchy in the priesthood, but it really there there is no more Levitical priesthood in that respect because it says here in Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest. And then it goes on in verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so that reminder that, you know, so many times I think we, we, we go through something difficult and we think, you know, Jesus never went through this particular temptation. But the Bible tells us that Jesus went through all of them, that he was tempted in all points. And he can sympathize with you because he went through it and he had victory over it. Hey, Brian, you can put up the picture of the tabernacle. We're going to talk about that in a minute. They can look at that for a minute. Um, and so Jesus our, sympathizes as our high priest. In verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So in this idea of of the high priest and of Jesus being that high priest and us to come boldly. Where does it tell us to come in verse 16? That we come where to the throne of to the throne of what? Everybody say grace to the throne of grace. All right. And then um, let's go back to Exodus and look at verse 22. It says, and there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above. Where, where's Jesus going to meet with us? What did he just get through talking about? He just got th- through talking about the, the mercy seat. So here's the point. We don't meet with Jesus in the ark. In, in, the, in, the, in the center of the ark where the um, Ten Commandments are, and Aaron's rod, and the manna. 
We meet with Jesus in the mercy seat. And that, that is Christianity in a nutshell. That is a beautiful picture here in Exodus and a place that God is very specific in all these details that, that it's a picture of Jesus and our relationship to Jesus. And, and he says, I will meet with you on the mercy seat. And he was very specific in the design of the, ta- of the Ark of the Covenant that, that inside and there would be a lid, a separate part, that the two would be separate and that Jesus would meet with us on the mercy seat. And we only come to Jesus through grace and mercy and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, Satan has twisted and changed where God wants to meet people and, 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 and the world and, and these religious systems is that we meet God in the Ark and we follow the commandments. And if we, we do this and we do that, then, then we earn favor with God or we please God. And, then, and that's where Jesus meets with us when we do well. But that's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus meets us on the mercy seat. Not in the ark. Not in um, our tasks. Not in our do-goods. Not in how much you read the Bible. Not in how much you attend church. But Jesus meets you at the mercy seat. Jesus meets you where you... You seek his face and you spend time with him and you pray with him. And again, coming to church, I think, is important and I think it's biblical. But again, it, it doesn't do us any good if it just doesn't motivate the rest of our week to want to spend time with Jesus and meet him in the mercy seat. And if we're in the habit of coming to Jesus, and all, all of us have a little bit of this that we have to battle. We, we feel like, man, I just, I really need a blessing. So I'm going to fast this week. I'm going to I'm going to be in the Word this week, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I, I fight this battle all the time. And, and not that those are not good things, and we don't want to do those things, but just understand that, that that's not why God blesses you. That's not where Jesus meets you. Jesus meets you in mercy. Mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. Or mercy is not, grace is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is getting what you, what you don't deserve, because what you deserve is hell. And so in God's mercy, you don't get what you deserve. In His grace, you, 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 you get what you don't deserve. And He gives you something not because of who you are or what you've done, but because that's what He's decided to do. And He blesses you in spite of you and based on His mercy. In verse 22, uh, two, 3, it says, the rest of 22, From between the two cherub which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. The... The Israelites, um, throughout the history, the Ark of the Covenant, it became a big deal. The Ark of the Covenant led them into battle everywhere they went. And there were so many times, and if you guys study, we've already studied through Kings. Actually, we started a little bit different in the Old Testament. We went through First and Second Kings already, and we read a lot of these stories. But, but the, the Ark would lead them out in battle. And, and the king, and he would seek God, and he would say, God, should we go up? And if God said, yes, go up, then, then they went up and they had victory, and the Ark always led them out. And there were times in their history where David didn't pray or he didn't stop because he already had a huge victory and he just went down. This one was going to be easy and they got their butt kicks. Their butts kicked. There was a time when they fought the Philistines and the people said, oh, go get the Ark of the Covenant. It will lead us. It, it will, it will, it will, it will, it will. But it, it's not the Ark that, that leads us. Who leads us? It's God that leads us. It's Jesus that leads us. And they said, it will lead us. And so they went down and then their faith was in the Ark and, and not in what the Ark represented. And, and you guys know the story. They got their butts kicked by the Philistines. The Philistines captured the ark. And then the Philistines took the ark. And in the Philistines' mind, in their culture, they had stolen Israel's God. Like we stole their God. And what did they do with it? They took it and they brought it back. And they put it into the temple of Dagon. And Dagon was a half man, half fish God. And in that temple, the ark of the covenant was there. And Dagon was there. And you guys remember the story, right? They came back the next morning. And what happened? 
Dagon had fallen on his face. And rather than, than you know, see that there was a problem, they, they, picked, they had to help Dagon up. And they picked him back up. They propped him back up. And the next morning they came over. And this time the statue had fallen over of Dagon. And both of his hands broke off at the hands and his head broke off. And now he was the headless, handless fish god in the ark. And they realized that, that they had to get rid of it. And so they sent the ark to another Philistine city and boils began to break out in that city. And everywhere they went, the boils would break out. And, and, and so it got to the point where, where the Philistines didn't want the ark of the covenant anymore. And so they put it on a new cart and they, set, and they, they, they said, we'll, we'll know if, if it's going to be, um, if God's behind it. And they, they put a, a cow who had a, a, a calf that was milk, that was nursing. And there's no way that naturally that calf would that cow would leave her calf and they said if she runs towards israel we'll know and we'll put the calf on the other way and they separated a mother and her calf and that cow ran directly towards israel and they knew and when the ark came back to israel they 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 grabbed it and again the the men came and they they opened up the ark to see if the artifacts the things that were in it were still in it and if you guys remember the story they opened it up and they looked inside and seventy thousand died that day and that's where in the that's where Indiana Jones gets that part of the movie where don't look at it. What was his, what was his girl's name? Mary, Marcy. Don't look in it, Marcy. You'll die. And you know, they have those welding goggles on so they'll live. And when they open the lid, but that, that story comes from the Bible. But again, it wasn't that there's a, uh, some kind of voodoo if you look in it. But when you, you look at, at the law, it kills and the law kills and grace wins. And then they took it and they, they, they didn't know what to do with it and, and, and they were upset and they, they went to get it and there was a, there was a guy named Uzzah and the, they, David had, had used the same prescription that the Philistines did and he put it on a new cart and they were going to bring it back to Israel and it began to fall off the cart and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the Ark of the Covenant and then he touched it and as a result he died. And so David got upset and he sent it to the house of Obed-Edom. And the ark rested in the house of Obed-Edom for a while. And there in, in that house, everything in Obed-Edom's house and his family was just being completely blessed and growing and flourishing. And so um, David recognized that and decided to, to go and get it. And this time they went to the scripture and, and used God's way of moving it. And they would only, the priests would only travel so many steps. And then they would stop and they would make a sacrifice and they would dance and they would worship. And then they would make so many steps and they would carry it upon the um, shoulders of the priests. And they went the way. And that's where David shows up back into town. And he's dancing nakedly or he's dancing in a linen ephod before the Lord as they celebrate bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel. And so that's the history. There's a picture of the tabernacle. We're going to get to that in a second. We're coming up to the table of showbread. So in verse 23, it says... And you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around it. You shall make for it a frame of handbreadth all around, and you shall make gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are its four, that are its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders to the poles bear the table and you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and that they may be carried with them and they shall make its dishes its pans its pitchers its bowls for for pouring and you shall make them of gold and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always and so <clears throat> the showbread was was um there in the the first part the table of showbread and god lays out the way there 
And this, this bread, as we know, biblically, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The bread represents, the manna represents the word of God, that daily, it's the bread of life. It's, it's, it's what feeds us. Jesus said, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What's interesting about this particular bread is that um, everywhere in the culture, especially of the day, even today to some respects, all, all the pagan gods, their people feed them with bread. They're constantly having to make bread and serve them and put them before their gods. In, in the, as we guys know, you ever seen a Buddha doll or a Buddha statue? What does it always have around it? They don't use bread, but they use fruits and they're, they're constantly feeding their God. And, and the, the idea is that, that our God gives us bread. He gives us the daily word. He provides for us. He takes care of us. And, um, you know, in the, in the Muslim re- religion, what do you do? You, you give your sons and your daughters to be crucified, or not to be crucified, but to be martyred. And, and, and God gave his son. And it's noble, and you get an e-ticket to heaven if you go as a martyr. But rather than, than us having to give our sons to please our God, God gave his son to pave the way for us. And so it's speaks of that and so we have this table of showbread another thing you guys remember david went into the tabernacle later you guys remember him and his men were hungry and they were fighting and then in the tabernacle was they were keeping the sword of goliath and the table of showbread was there and david and his men were hungry and and it wasn't lawful for david and his men to eat the showbread it was only lawful the priests would eat it was part of the provision for the tribe of levi since they had no provision that that was part of their provision and, and the priest gave David and his men that sword from Goliath and the, the showbread that was in, the, in there. And Jesus mentions it in the New Testament. He said, did you not read that where David and his men ate the showbread that was not lawful to eat? In saying that, you know, human need superseded the law and that Jesus said it was okay. They were hungry. They needed some bread and that human need supersedes the law. And, and he was speaking to the Pharisees about their, 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 their hearts of, of of the law that, that missed the heart of what it was. In verse 31, it says, you shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. A lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its orna- ornamental knobs or buds and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches out of the lampstand, out of, out of one side and three branches of lampstands out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, one branch with an ornamental knob, and a flower of three bowls made like an almond blossom on the other branch with the ornamental knobs and the flower and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand and on the lampstand itself four bowls that shall be made like blossoms each with its ornamental knob and flower and so we can just go down to verse chapter 26 more just details on on the golden lampstand that that would uh, ordain the temple and that would be in there and then in chapter 26 we get to the making of the tabernacle. And again, the, the tabernacle wasn't, the whole, the whole thing wasn't very big. It would um, be about the size of a house lot. The, the temple itself is um, only 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, broken up into two sections. The first part is called the holy place. That back part behind the veil of the temple is the, um, the, the holy of holies where only once would go. And God's presence would dwell there with the ark of the covenant 
And every, every piece of this is, is a picture of Christian living today. Just like we, we, we've unpacked this so much, but as we go through the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, as they, as they wandered in the wilderness, their lives all the way through are a picture of New Testament living. They were in Egypt. That's a picture of us in a world. They went through the Red Sea, picture of baptism. They come out the other side. They cross over the Jordan, picture of baptism of the Holy Spirit, their struggle, their progression towards the Holy Land. Every part of it, they faced, David faced a literal giant Goliath. We face uh, spiritual giants in every part of it. And this is the same way. Every part of this is a picture of Christian living. And that's where that song that we sing, Take Me Past the Outer Courts and to the Holy Place. It's, it's a progression of how we, we, we meet Jesus and we, we receive the blood of Jesus and we become born again. And we begin this process of sanctification, of being set apart. And we grow in Jesus and we receive at some point in our Christian walk the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the empowering, the infilling of the Holy Spirit that overflows us. And with this progression and this goal in our, in our life to get into and to spend time and be in the place of the Holy of Holies. The, the, again, the picture is, is all of Jesus. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. God's heart for us, God's heart for you is that he would tabernacle with you. The word tabernacle is to dwell with you, is to spend time with you. But again, that, that's, that's God's heart, you guys. That's God's, um, that, that is God's will. And I don't know how to put it any different other than just that, you know, to grasp that idea that God wants to spend time with you. I had a pastor friend and he was, he was going to spend a retreat, and he was going to spend a couple days, and he just wanted to seek the Lord for the church and for what was doing. And he was on his, his personal retreat, and um, he, he, he was getting ready to leave, and he was just going to go up into the wilderness, a bottle of water and a Bible, and spend a couple days just seeking the Lord. And just before he left, one of the other pastors stopped him and said, Hey, can I pray for you? And, and the pastor prayed, you know, and, and, and he said, The Lord has been longing to spend this time with you. And, and and the pastor heard this prayer and he just said, well, I appreciate the guy's heart, but his theology is bad. Like, who am I that God longs to spend time with me? I'm going up on the mountain to seek God, to spend time fasting and praying. But who am I? And, and, and the more that he spent time with God and the more that he let that sink in and, and comparing it to God's word, it changed his life, really. Because the truth is, is that God does desire to spend time with you. God did desire and to think of things that way, like I'm going to seek God, and yet on the other side of it, that the Lord is desiring that. The Lord wants that. The Lord created you for fellowship. He created you for his good pleasure. And, and, and that's where the rubber meets the road in our walks, in our lives, is that spending time with the Lord. And really this whole idea of the tabernacle being a picture of Jesus, being a picture of the Christian living, being a, a, an index finger that points us to Jesus and the cross, and the idea with the Holy of Holies, and the idea that God's Shekinah glory would dwell, and God's Shekinah glory dwelled within the Holy of Holies, and, and particularly upon and with the Ark of the Covenant. And that's why it was such a big deal, and that's why God judged Uzzah when Uzzah touched it and died and and his heart was in the wrong place when he grabbed it and steadied it and the Lord killed him and when they opened it and 70,000 died and there was a power of the presence of God that was present in the Holy of Holies and in this tabernacle and in this idea and, and that presence that killed 70,000 people in one day that 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 Shekinah glory that, that that where God's 
presence would dwell in the Holy of Holies. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why he paints such an amazing picture. And, and we have to grasp that first concept of this and what this represented so that when we get to the New Testament and we get to the tabernacle that, that Solomon built and Herod rebuilt and, and the Ark of the Covenant was there and it had its own version of the Holy of Holies in a real building, when we get to the New Testament and we see that that, that veil of that temple was rent from top to bottom and God says, hey, you can all come in. Like for us, 2000 years later, we don't catch the gravity of that. But had you lived there, had you been there in, in that time or lived prior and, and, and saw the, the, the gravity of this, this idea of the Holy of Holies and that God's presence dwelt there. And then, and then now to have access, you know, our little boys grow up and they want to be a quarterback of a football team or they want to be on TV or a movie star and I'm sure kids in those days grew up thinking and hoping that their big dream was one day that they would be that high priest who got to go in once a year and into the presence of God. And yet God says that that, that you're all invited. And so when Jesus came, what, what was the name that was given to Jesus in Isaiah? I'll read it for you in, in chapter seven. It says, the Lord, therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign and behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name. Emmanuel. And what is what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. Jesus's very name, the very name that was prophesied is that God will be with us in this idea of tabernacle, in this idea that God will be among his people. And so Jesus came and and he and he tabernacled or he dwelt among his people. It says in I, in John chapter one, verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace. That word dwelt there in verse 14. It's the same word um, as we see over and over and over in the Bible for tabernacle. It's the same idea that, that, that Jesus would tabernacle with us or dwell with us. And so Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, that the Son of God became flesh and he tabernacled. He, he, he dwelt with us. And then we get this in Hebrews. It tells us that the, that the tabernacle is a, um, it's a picture of heaven and, and, and what's going to happen in heaven. And here we have in Revelation 21, in verse number 3, you can turn there if you want. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, we have this same idea that that God will tabernacle. Now, the first thing we know is that in, in, in heaven, it says, and I heard, I'm just going to start in chapter 21. It says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And also there was no more sea. Then I, John saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from God from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And so underline verse number three, and that is the the fulfillment of this entire idea that was um, seen through Jesus. And that brings us to the point that when we get to heaven, it tells us in, in this same chapter um, or I'll read it in the next chapter that in heaven, there's no temple there. There's no tabernacle. There's no there's no need for a tabernacle. There's no need for a place where you go and visit God. Why? Because God will tabernacle with his people. God will dwell with his people and that he will be their God and they will be his people. And I don't know how that's going to work. You know, I don't know. I, I, 
like there's so many people that are saved, right? So many people over millions, or not millions of years, whoops. Millions and millions of people, not years, over 6,000, 7,000 years of human history that will, will be in heaven and, and we'll all have access to God and Jesus. So will Jesus just have a lot of different bodies and be everywhere at once? Will, will it just not work that way? I mean, there's no time in heaven. The Bible says there's no years there. There's no tears there. There's no fears there. And so I think the whole concept is, is a little bit different than, you know, that we're not going to understand it. We don't have to understand it. But that, that God will be with us and that, that, that we will tabernacle, we will dwell with God and God with us, as he tells us in Revelation. He tells us also similarly in chapter 22, um, along the same lines. I'm just going to start in the beginning again. In chapter 22, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God, of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. So we have one tree that bears twelve different fruits, one a month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, for the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his, his servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. And so for the first time in heaven, it says that, that we will see His face. Now what does the Bible tell us? What did we study a couple of weeks ago? That no man can what? No man can see God and live. And, and all the way through, if we've ever seen God, either we've seen Jesus or we've seen the aftermath, the wake, the 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 train of his robe as he went by, as he put Moses in the cleft of the rock, and that's going to change again in heaven, that we'll see his face and his name shall be on our foreheads and there shall be no night there for they need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever. And then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the, of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must surely take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw and fell down and worshipped before the feet of the angels who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant of your brethren, the prophets of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book at this time. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Verse 12, it says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give every one according to his works. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through its gates. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and murderers, and sexually immoral, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the church. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. I am the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy 
of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, this prophecy, God shall take away from his part in the book of life. In the city from the things which are written in this book, he who testifies of this thing says, Surely I'm coming quickly. Even so, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord be with us all. Amen. Look at chapter 21 and verse number 22. Back up just a little bit. It says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it. That's repeated in 22. For the glory of God illuminated, the Lamb is its light. So there's no temple in heaven. There's no idea, this concept that, that, that God will dwell with his people. So here, here's what I don't want us to miss. The, the entire concept of this tabernacle, of this, of this design, is that, is that it's a place where people would go and meet with God. And now, now we have a place called prayer, called faith, called you know, entering in, where, where today on this side of the cross we go and meet with God. And yet there's a place coming where we're going to need none of this to meet with God because God is going to be among us and God is going to dwell with us. You guys looking forward to that day? No, none of you? I am. So um, chapter 26 says, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains, fine uh, woven linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic design of cherubim. You shall have them. The Lord loves purple. It's right there, verse number one. That's why our church is purple. That's why our, our church colors are purple, because the Lord loves purple. I, I was looking at this picture, and I don't know what they did. They, they made it red, white, and blue. I guess that's America's tabernacle, but or France's, yeah, the way that it's laid out there. But technically, that blue um, would be purple, and the colors were blue, purple, and red, no white. So they got that pretty messed up, blue, purple, and red. So... Um, all three, blue speaks of heavenly, it speaks of God's heavenly throne and, and divinity. Purple speaks of God's royalty or his priesthood, his kingly ship. And red speaks of what? His blood and, and, and the fact that by his blood we are, we are made clean. What's interesting to me in this, in this uh, little section here is that they, they were able to make purple threads. They were able to make purple garments. They were able to make red garments. The, the process of making a red garment was with a, a little worm that, that would squirt out a, a red dye to protect its babies and then the worm would die. And in that scarlet and in that worm that, that they used in the Middle East to make these red dyes is also a little picture of Jesus. That's pretty cool. And then in verse number three, it says, um, five curtains shall be coupled to one another and five other curtains shall be coupled to one another and you shall may loop, make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage on one set and likewise you shall do on the other of the other curtain of the second set 50 loops you shall make in in the one curtain and 50 loops you shall make in the edge of the other curtain that is in the end of the second set that the loops may be clasped to one another and you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with clasps so that it may be one tabernacle. And so again, we get this idea and we have all these numbers and we have all these biblical numerology of three and four and five and 50 and all these different numbers that speak of so many things. And again, we could break all of these things down and spend so, many, so much time just going through this. We're not going to, but we, we get this idea that it's, it's built together. 
Number one, it's built to move. And the table of showbread and all these things are, are to, to move with the people as they move. And so, um, and it's all to be one. So, so it's built with different parts, but the different parts as they assemble them together become one. And again, a picture of the body of Christ. The Bible says that, that in the body of Christ within this, this picture, that we all have a different part, but we're one body. We're, we're one, in one baptism, in one life, one body, all with a different function, but together that, that we are one. And in verse 7, it says, You shall also make curtains of goat's hair. To be a tent over the tabernacle, you shall make eleven curtains. So the in, inner curtains and the inner tabernacle was a little more elaborate. On the outside, it was just goat's hair. So I don't know about that, but just goat's hair on the outside. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the width of each curtain 4 cubits, and the 11, 11 curtains shall have the same measurements. And you shall couple 5 curtains by themselves, and 6 curtains by themselves. And you shall double over the 6th curtain in the forefront of the tent. And you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtains that is in the outermost in one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the other curtain. And you shall make 50 bronze clasps, and put the clasps into the loops, couple the tent together, and make them one. It may be one. The remnant that remains of the curtains of the tents of the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains and the tent shall overhang the sides and da 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 You guys getting the point? Let's go to chapter. So so basically just more and more details, specific details all the way through this next section. Of, of the idea of the tabernacle and how it was going to be built. And so I think we're going to call it there today. I was going to try to tackle 27 tonight, but um, I think we're going to end early tonight. Tackle 27 next time we get together. Youth group's not going to know what to do. Let's stand. pray father god we come before you lord jesus let's have the worship team come up can we sing maybe a song or two since we got some extra time father god we come before you lord jesus and lord i thank you for this this extra time that we have tonight father i thank you lord that um lord we can just spend time worshiping you and god this chapters and lord all these details as we try to kind of laboriously work our way through them lord we we see the big picture here, and the big picture is that the tabernacle is a picture of our lives. It's a picture of the idea that, that you desire to spend time with us. You desire to tabernacle with us, and that you sent your son to dwell among us or tabernacle with us. And you, you've, you rent the veil of the temple from top to bottom, and you invited each one of us in to tabernacle with you, to dwell with you. And the ultimate fulfillment of your heart, God, for us in eternity is that we will tabernacle with you, that there'll be no temple, that there'll be no night, that there'll be no need for the sun or the moon, and that, God, you will be with us and we will be with you and we'll see your face and we will spend all of eternity in your presence. And, Lord, yet this, this life that we live today is a picture, God, is, is a picture of, of all of eternity and, and a desire, Lord, and having a desire today to see you when we can't see you, to hear you when, when, when we can't see you. And, Lord, that you would speak to us, God, that, Lord, we would tabernacle with you, that you would work in our hearts and lives. And, God, I pray that you would create in each one of us a desire 
to, to be in the Holy of Holies, a desire to be in the Shekinah glory of God, a desire to go up on the mountain as Moses did and meet with you and seek your face. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.